Memories, music is therapy. Hello and welcome to you, me, the 80s and the 90s. As always, I'm Wayne Sucks. And I'm Emma Louise. How are you, Emma? I'm fantastic today. Whoa. I've got a new little friend running around us that you can probably hear. Almost on cue. <laughs> My little pup, Maddie, has arrived and she's um, just nine, nine weeks old. And so if you hear a bell, that's her. Running yep. around. Or we've finally put a bell around Emma so we know where she is at any time. <laughs> She's so cute. There we go. Yes, so that's my exciting news for the week. How's your week been? I've been very good. I think good. since I saw you last, I've been to Tasmania and back. Oh, that's right. Your play swept out some awards. Yes, Tasmanian Theatre Awards. My play, The Bridesmaid Must Die, won four awards. Congratulations. Which was, it's, very, it's very nice to, you know, when you travel distance for award shows, it's very nice to actually win. Nothing worse. I did that once. Yeah. Went to Queensland for an award show. Mm. Won nothing. Bow, bow. Yeah. So uh, yes. All right. But we are recording in the middle of the week, so there's no wine this week because I have to teach later. No, we're doing cups of tea. And no one wants a drunk drama teacher. <laughs> Why is she just that better? Could be no, fun. Yeah. No. 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 I'm, You'd I'm probably I'm looking, be fired. Let's I'm looking not to get keep fired. my working with children's check. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. But let's start our countdown. And we are looking at 1989. So, like we did last time, we're going to play the top five artists from that week who are artists we haven't featured on the podcast yet. Mm, exciting. And there's some really great artists here as well. There are. I love some of these songs. Yeah. yeah. Let's get straight into it at number five with Sam Brown and Stop. song reached four in Australia and the UK, one in Belgium, Iceland, the Netherlands and Norway and only 65 in the US. Oh, that deserved to be higher. Yeah, it really did. And they probably wouldn't know the song. Yeah. Whereas here in Australia and England and, and clearly through most of Europe, people love this. Like to this yeah. day, people still love this song. I still love this song. Yeah. I don't, he, like, when it came up on the list, I was so happy to see it. Like, yeah. oh, that's right, I remember this song. Yeah, whereas I work for an 80s radio station, yeah. so I hear it all the time. All the time. <laughs> it's a great, it's a, just a well-written song. Did she write this? Was she part of the writing team on this? Oh, well, getting straight into something I didn't look up in. Oh, look, <laughs> if she wasn't, whoever wrote it, very good. She's the, she grew up musically, though. She's the daughter yeah, of... It um, is in the blood. Yeah, session singer Vicky Brown and musician Joe Brown. Um, and so she grew up with it. She started singing, session singing with her mum when she was, I think, 14. Yeah. So. And she did backing vocals on the final studio album by Small Faces. She also mm. worked as a backing vocalist with sev- several other bands, including Spandau Ballet with her mother on f- and on former Deep Purple keyboardist John Lord's third studio album, Before I Forget. So she worked with some big artists. 
Yeah, because I think throughout her career, even though she did have her successful solo career, she continued quite a successful backing um, singing career. Yeah, Nick Cave, I think she's worked with. Yeah. She's got a whole bunch of people, so she's... She, she stayed busy. Yeah, and in Australia, she really only had two hits, which is which is really sad. It was this and Can I Get a Witness, her cover of that song. Great song. I Amazing to... film clip. Can I Get a Witness? Witness? No? <laughs> I'm sure I know it. Maybe if great. she sings it rather than you. Yeah, whoa. Hey, that's some hate speech there, <laughs> really. Um, great song. was also covered by Jamelia in 2004 from Bridget Jones' The Edge of Reason. Oh, see, I didn't listen to that soundtrack. I owned the first Bridget Jones soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Second one, not so I much. I enjoyed the second one. I bought the second Did one you? as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Third one, no. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone see this? I think I saw the third film in the end. That was where she had the baby. Yeah. 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 Don't know if the soundtrack yeah, was we'll any good. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, the album Stop has sold over two and a half million copies worldwide. And mm. did particularly well here in Australia and in the UK. Mm. But she's had a bit of bad luck over the past few years. Well, I heard she lost her voice, didn't she, in yes. 2007? Why was that? So she, so in, in an interview in 2013, she explained that I can't get vocal cord closure and achieve the proper pitch simultaneously. It feels that there are some muscles that aren't working. So Ooh. after a cyst was found on her vocal cords, she had uh, the cyst successfully removed, but problems with her voice persisted, leaving her unable to hold a note. Oh, that's such a shame. But that said, she's still now teaching backing vocals classes at, or she was at least, throughout um, you know 2015 onwards. Yeah. So, and as of last year, she runs several ukulele clubs in Oxfordshire. <gasps> That's right, I forgot she played the ukulele. I wonder whether our Prime Minister would head on over there. Oh, please. <laughs> Don't. Don't. Oh. I know, he's making the, the ukulele daggy. Yeah. Let's get Sam Brown on the show instead. <laughs> I didn't realise this song was like, was it her debut single? Yeah. Good debut single. I know, it could have been in our it classics. It could have been later. Like, what a song to start with. That's, yeah. Yeah, and wonderful. great music video as well. It, it, it actually sort of flopped the first time it came out, but then it was re-released again and, and was a bigger success. So it was first That's released in 88, right. but only got to 52 in the UK, and then it was released again in 89, and that's when it hit big. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. And then it was also used in the soundtrack to the 1992 film Bitter Moon. It's an erotic romantic thriller. That I have never seen. Uh, starring Peter Coyote, Hugh Grant and Kristen Scott Thomas. Okay. And directed by Ooh Roman Polanski. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good old Polanski. Let's not go there. Let's, yeah, let's, let's just move on, shall we? Because <laughs> I think with up. all of the rain we've had, it might be time to sail away. <laughs> Can I just say one more thing? Oh, though? yes, sure. Okay. A fascinating fact that I... Sam Brown's albums. Do you have them all? Have you? Bought I don't. Her? I don't. Okay. I, I got the first two because I right. love the song "Kissing Gate." Great okay, because she released like five other albums after her first one, I think. So she's got like I think she had seven actually. Or maybe she's got seven altogether. I'll oh, count them. Hang on, one, two, three, four, five, six. She does. She needs to make an eighth though, because guess what? The titles of all of those studio albums and her live album partly spell out her name. Oh. So we, first we had "Stop." Then April Moon, then 43 Minutes, so Sam, Box, Reboot, 
of the moment, Wednesday the something of April. And she, she, she just needs an N1. Isn't that cool? And the coolest bit is she didn't realise that that was actually happening, allegedly. Oh. That's weird. Like, it looks very deliberate. But she said she was unaware of the pattern until it was pointed out after the release of Reboot um, back in the year 2000. So once it was brought to her attention, yeah. she did then vow to continue that trend and asked fans to submit suggestions for the O album. Um, and which of they the did. moment is a great name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fascinating fact. There we go. Yeah. All right, now let's sail away. Let's sail away. With a touch of Enya and Orinoco Flow. The song reached six in Australia, 24 in the US and one in Belgium, Ireland, the Netherlands, Switzerland and the UK. This is one of those songs where I don't know why it was as successful as it was, really. Dinner parties. Was it? Is that what it was? Oh, at the time, everyone who had a dinner party would put on an your CD. Because it was nice and soothing in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. it was very, you know, the new age movement really embraced Enya. Mm. They like to sail away, sail away. Mm. I was never into this song. It wasn't my stuff. Well, I, I think it wasn't aimed at us. Yes, correct. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like, I don't dislike it, but I don't, like, love it either. It's just... Yeah, you know, yeah. If, oh, it, totally. if it comes like, on, and I know that we don't play it very often on my station, but when we do... You know, I might sing a bit of Sail Away, Sail Away, and then I'll, you know, forget about mm. it. Mm. I remember a girl at, at high school bought the single, and I, I, I do remember at the time thinking, what are you where doing? are you nine? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you're right. Obviously, there was a market for it because she's, you know, one of Ireland's best-selling solo artists. I think second overall to to you 2 Wow. Uh, is what I'd read that, somewhere. I'm not sure how true that is, but that's what I read me. printed. Um because, yeah, she's released eight studio albums, sold over 75 million copies, which seems like a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of sailing away. Yeah, and this was her first hit. Yep. And it got a lot of exposure after getting airplay on the Steve Wright show on the BBC Radio 1 in the UK. So you can mm. blame him. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I blame... <laughs> um, I thought it was cute, actually, when I read about the... Because I never took any... I didn't know there were proper lyrics. Yeah. Besides Sail Away. <laughs> Besides Sail Away, Sail Away. Um, Which I still... When I, I can't help but not hear Kath and Kim when I hear this song now. Oh, did they do it? Because she they? was like, oh, Sail Away, Sail Away, Sail Away. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That would have been funny. I need to rewatch that series. But yeah, one of the wor- verses, I think, were We can steer, we can near with Rob Dickens at the wheel. It actually refers to Rob Dickens, who was the head of her record label at the time. And he's listed as a producer on the album. So it's like she was, I don't, yeah, this song, it's weird. What is it about? Well, I feel like because they had to, they had to create lyrics for it. Because yeah. he had said, we need a single. Yeah. And he had said it as a joke. 
because he didn't think that there was going to be a single from this album. He just thought it was an album as a whole. And as a joke, and he said, where's they... the single? And a week later, the producer phoned up and said, we've got it. We've got a single. <laughs> and his name was in it. Yeah. So he's like, I have to make And so he sent single. over what became Orinoco Flow. Yeah. And Robbers said there was no been late and Sail Away was after every line. It drove me crazy. But there was something there that could be worked on. Orinoco was the name of the studio and I think they saw me as the captain of the ship. The whole thing was a metaphor for a journey for all of us. Nice. So, so at, not not to do with the actual Orinoco River that some people no, might have thought it was No, about it was actually South named America. after the studio. Yeah. And so the lyricist on this track was Roma Ryan, the wife of the song's producer, Nikki Ryan. And so Ryan has said, Orinoco Flow was a difficult song to work on because we had shelved it a few times. We would work on it for a while, leave it, then go back to it again. But in the end, we said, this is good. All the time, it was an album track and only at the very end, it was decided it might be good as a single. Yeah, yeah. I think even when they signed her, they were never, as you said before, after an artist that could make a lot of hit singles They've actually come out and said sometimes you you sign acts to make money and then sometimes you sign acts to make music. Oh. And she was one of those artists that they signed to just make music. But it went on like in the first week of its release apparently, Tower Records phoned them up to say that when they played this album in the shop, they sold 45 copies. So it's like almost everyone in the store just stopped what they were doing and bought the record. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's souls. funny how that... It had that effect on people. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really interesting. She wanted to protect her privacy and she kept a low profile and did minimal publicity. But I think what's really interesting that despite the song's success, many listeners had no idea what she looked like or if even Enya was the name of the singer or the band. Didn't yeah. they watch the music video? Well, yeah, because she's in that and it's obvious yeah. what she looks like. And maybe like. it's just because of my age and that was where I like, consumed most of my music was from music right. television shows. yeah. yeah. So I knew what she looked like. I had no doubts. <laughs> She's the brunette lady. Yeah, with the short hair <laughs> yes, and, yes. and the almost animated watercolour yeah, yeah, music yeah, video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, she has kept a very low profile. She's kind of like Sia in that um But she put her face regard. out. Mm-hmm. Well, true. But then she's never toured, ever. How, what would an Inya tour look like, though? Well, if that many people are buying her, like... <laughs> I suppose Andre Ryu or two is a lot. Yeah, hello. Never gone on concert tour. And, yeah, she just... She's she's never been married, never had kids. Lives in a castle next to Bono. She's quite an, an, an enigmatic enigma. character. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I wonder there's, how many animals There's a, a movie for you. What? Like, Enya in her castle and Bono in his. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Well, apparently back in um, 2005, she was actually broken into, her castle was broken into and they tied up the maid. It was actually terrible. Yeah, yeah, awful. Enya fled into a panic room where she raised the alarm. (laughs) But then Bono, helpful neighbour Bono, later sent her a note joking, oh, I'd have come over and tackled the stalker, but there was something good on the telly. (laughs) (laughs) So they've they've obviously got a fun relationship. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or he hates her, but I'm, I'm assuming it was that they've got a fun relationship. The Guardian ranked Orinoco Flow at number 77 in its list of the 100 greatest UK number one singles of all time. Yeah. See, again, I don't get it. I don't understand okay. that. I mean, do you? It wouldn't be oh, close you know, to it's your... It's fine. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying I hate the song, yeah. but I don't understand how yeah. it's quite as... 
All right. Well, let's sail away to our next song. <sighs> let's do it. So I can also make these stop making these sail away puns. Okay. <laughs> our number three this week is Simple Minds and Belfast Child. The song rates 12 in Australia, one in Ireland, the Netherlands and the UK. We are getting a lot of Netherlands number ones. <laughs> okay, yeah. I do feel like a big connection to the Netherlands at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. my nephew lives in the, in the Netherlands. That's right, I forgot about and that. In fact, my brother, is my brother, my sister-in-law and both my nephews are currently in the Netherlands. So, shout out to anyone oh. listening in the Netherlands. Hello. Hello Leiden, indeed. my nephew is in. So, yeah. Yeah. Go see the Leiden <laughs> Union team. He's in it. <laughs> Nice little plug there. Yeah, why not? No. <laughs> um, this song... It's a powerful song. It is a very powerful song. Very, you know, different to their Don't You Forget About Me. And yes, <laughs> glittering prize and promise you a miracle. So, yeah. Um, obviously very political. Very political. And Jim Kerr's voice is stunning. Oh, yeah. He does have this really beautiful resonance to his voice. And he, he is a natural storyteller in his mm-hmm. voice. Like you can feel the emotion and you can feel how much the song means to him when you listen to it. Yeah. Without trying, it's just, yeah, it is. It's very moving. Based on a traditional song called She Moved Through the Fair, which um, Jim had actually heard for the first time a few days after the 1987 bombing that this is, well, was written in response to. Yeah. Um, so, yes, the song was inspired by the 1987, and sorry if I pronounce this wrong, an Eskelon bombing when a bomb planted by the IRA exploded during a Remembrance Day service. So it mm. killed 11 people and injured at least 63. Simple Minds lead singer Jim Kerr explains, In the second part of Belfast Child, I'm trying to relate to people in Northern Ireland who have all lost loved ones. I'm trying to talk about the madness and sadness and emptiness. I'm not saying I have any pearls of wisdom, but I have a few questions to ask. When I'm asked on American TV who my heroes are, rather than saying Lou Reed or Bob Dylan or someone who goes without saying, I say that there are people called Amnesty International. Mm. And what they are doing, I think, is rather heroic. It only takes about 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And just when you were reading that out, I was thinking about hero, you know, What's happening in the world at the moment yes. over in the Ukraine right now? Not that I want to get too political, but just seeing those Ukrainians stand in solidarity and yeah. stick around and fight for what they believe in. Like, yeah. I don't think I could do that. Like, isn't that selfish of me? Or like, but, but you, you say that now, but you don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm you know, who there. knows what, what, is, what happens when, when mm. a situation like that is presented to us. Mm. And I, I think that this is why music is so important. Mm. You know, from the start of time, music has remembered important events. Music yep. has talked about important things. And, you know, some songs are frivolous. You know, earlier I was singing, Job Around, <laughs> Job Around. Totally. Because it was in my mind. And there's but a then, place then for we both. Get, yes, there's and then we get songs like this that are really, really important and tell really important state. And clearly very passionate people. You know, for this song to do so well in both Ireland and in the UK, it shows how special this is to so many people. Yeah. 
Well, even hitting to number 12 here, that's yeah. a long way to travel. Like, you know, we're very removed from what was happening over, you know, in yeah. Ireland at the time, but it still hit home for us here. Um, the B-side of this was also a political song called Mandela Day, which was obviously written for Nelson Mandela's, um, well, it was actually written for his 70th birthday concert. Yeah. So, yeah, they were going through a very political kind of phase. That yeah. whole album that this was from, I think, was largely... And, you know, at the time, this was the second longest running UK number one song. It runs for six minutes and 39 seconds. The only one that was longer was Hey Jude. Ah, yes. Oh, I love that song too. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I, I only discovered recently originally was, was Hey Julian. It is no. actually written about Julian Lennon. Paul McCartney wrote it about Julian Lennon because he felt bad for him. Really? Hey, Julian like he meant it for Julian Lennon, yeah, okay. but yeah. changed the name to Jude because it was easier. It fit better. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Because yes, here we go. I'm just about to bad math. John Lennon, apparently terrible father. Well, yeah. There you Let's go. not speak ill of the dead. <laughs> Who knows? Hey, hey. <laughs> uh, simple Minds, though. Uh, much loved group here in Australia. Mm. They had three top ten songs. Promise You a Miracle hit ten. Glittering Prize hit nine. And their song that most people know them for, Don't You Forget About Me, hit six. They were actually more successful in Australia before they hit really big in the UK. Their song, Love Song, in 1981, it hit 17 here, but only hit 47 in the UK. Mm. I was really surprised, actually, yeah, that Don't You Forget About Me didn't hit number one, in fact. Like, it was huge, that song. Yeah, I just think it's one of those songs that has stuck around in our consciousness. Because this, uh, Belfast Child, was their only UK number one hit. Yeah. Ever, so... Yeah. All right, well, let us move on to our next song. And our number two for this week, very different feel. Yeah. It is The Art of Noise featuring Tom Jones and Kiss. You don't have to be rich to be my girl. You don't have to be cool to rule my world. Ain't no particular sign. I'm more compatible with Archie's won't your extra time and your kid. Think I better dance now. The song reached eight in Australia, five in the UK, 31 in the US, and one in New Zealand and Spain. Our US listeners are not going to enjoy us this week. (laughs) Oh, come on. Um, This was a great cover. Really great because it was so different to the original. Yes. Like, uh, I have it's the first time I'm saying the word today. Like, the Prince original is iconic. Yes. So for them to really change it up so much and mm. to make it something new was really hard, but special at the same, same time. Yeah, because it was done within two years, I think, of the yeah. original as well. So it was quite soon afterwards. And Prince traditionally hated people covering his songs. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, well, is, okay, <laughs> I feel like that's a lead-in for you. Well, because yeah. <laughs> I'd read about it, that Jones, um, Tom Jones, that is, actually met Prince and he thanked him for this song, but he deliberately didn't ask what Prince thought of his version <laughs> as he wasn't sure he'd like the answer. That's why Tom Jones has been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> he knows. Like... And, you know, and if you heard the story, you know, between Sinead O'Connor and Prince after nothing yes. compares to you, that well, did not go well. It did not go so... well. No. But a Prince and Tom Jones share something else in common. What's that? A birthday. No. They're, they're both born on June 7. Not the same year, not though. Obviously, no. <laughs> Gonna say no, but they share, a, they share a birthday, yeah. Ah, there you go, there you go. 
Tom's had a good life, hasn't he? Like he has a, had the most amazing career for such yes. a long time. And just seems like another one of these people that I would love to hang out with. Yes. Seems like a really genuinely He's nice guy. He's a Welshman, guy. isn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Where he had... I, I've never met a bad Welshman. <laughs> never. Never. In fact, no, neither have I. <laughs> I know a Welsh lady quite well. She's hilarious. Yes. Yeah, I like them. Hi to anyone in Wales. <laughs> At 12, though, he had tuberculosis, spent like two years in bed. So it's amazing he's even, I guess, alive and yeah. can sing the way he sings. I love that he married his high school sweetheart at 16 years old. They'd both, I don't know, got up the duck. Hello. <laughs> a little bit pregnant. And so they married and they remained so for 59 years until she passed away in 2016. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, that Especially is. Especially in entertainment. Like, yeah. That's unheard of. So here's a, here's a few statistics about Tom Jones. Yep. He received a Grammy Award for Best New Artist in 1966 an MTV Music Award in 1989, as well as two Brits, British Male Artist in 2000 and the Outstanding Contribution to Music Award in 2003. And in 1998, he was appointed Officer of the Order of the British Empire and knighted by Queen Elizabeth II for music Mm. services in 2005. There you go. Like that's he's pretty well acclaimed. Pretty long career and lots of great, and was sort of got a lot of success again because he was a judge on the first season of the UK Voice. Oh, was he? I remember watching that. That was the only season of the UK Voice I watched, and he oh. was one of the judges. There you go. <laughs> Elton John sang backing vocals for him once upon a time, um, back when he was uh, Reg Dwight. Wow. <laughs> Sang backing vocals on Jones's single Daughter of Darkness back in 1970. Oh, I don't know that song, but mm. it's a great title. Great title, yeah. Now let's talk about The Art of Noise, because I feel like we can't ignore them, because they did produce the song. So Tom had actually been singing it in his Vegas live show, because his son had said that he should be singing some modern music to stay relevant. Uh, which, you know, good on you to his son, who was his manager. So, you know, he was steering him in the right direction. And he sang it on the Jonathan Ross Last Resort TV show. And that's where the Art of Noise saw him and asked him to sing on their version. Now, they had had a bit of success in the past as well. They had done the theme to Dragnet and Peter Gunn, uh, and they had a great collaboration with Max Headroom. But this became their biggest success. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a great match, match-up. Yes, and and it's a really interesting song. It alternates between two distinct rhythms. Uh, A fast-paced rock beat, panned entirely to the left channel, and a half-speed, quiet storm-inspired percussion section. The guitar and horn breaks in the middle of the track musically reference to the themes of Dragnet and Peter Gunn, as well as their own breakthrough hit, Close to the Edit, and, ooh, Paranormia? Their 1986 collaboration with Max Hedrum. So, yes, they, inclu- in- they collaborate, included all of their previous stuff into this song. Oh, is that what... I was like, what is all this... Mi- okay, got you. Yeah. Wow. They threw it all at the wall. Threw it all in there. And had a hit. Do, do you prefer the Prince or the Tom Jones? I do prefer the Prince version. Do you? I like both Whoa. sort of equally for different reasons. Like, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I really like this, but I, I can't not like the Prince version. Yeah. It's one of my favourite Prince songs, and I just think it is a, a stunning song. Mm. Too true, too true. All right, let's move on to our number one for the week. Please. It is Mike and the Mechanics with The Living Years. Say, 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 
song reached one in Australia, Canada, Ireland, Japan and the US and two in the UK. Well deserved. Well deserved. Yeah. Um, this is a beautiful song. Oh, touching, touching song. So moving. Yeah. And I think it showed, didn't the writers at the time they were writing about their fathers who had passed away? Yes, Mike Rutherford and B.A. Robertson both lost their fathers in 1986. Yeah, so it was all still very raw and... It absolutely comes through. Yeah, and they wrote it in three parts, actually. So they wrote the first part when they had lost their fathers. Then the second part came a little bit later. And then the third part just before they recorded it. Because if you think this song came out in 89. Yeah. So it was quite a long process for this song to be born. Okay. I suppose it was painful to write. You know, the the stuff that's closest to home is, is, is often comes out easily, but also is really difficult to write. And, you know, that's the stuff that you don't... a bit worried about sharing with people. Sharing the deepest parts of your soul is really hard, but then that's often the part that people love. They've actually said that people still come up to them to this day and talk about how they identify with the song and how much it meant to them. Well, because I guess the theme of it, I mean, who... most of us have lost someone close, and so it's just... it is such a universal thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, because Paul Carrick, who sang the song, mm. Paul Carrick, who had that really great song in Australia, When You Walk in the Room, he sang it. Uh, he'd lost his father at the age of 11 when he mm. died in a car accident. Gosh. Ugh, death. What a downer. Mm. Uh, so the children's choir on the song came from the King's House School in London. Ah, uh, yes. yes. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah, the, the choir is in the film clip, yeah? The, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the son in the film clip. Sorry, while I'm talking about this film clip, that's actually the son of... Is it Mike? Mike Rutherford. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Now, we talked before about Belfast Child being a long song. This is also quite a long song. Around that, So now you look at songs, they run for two and a half minutes because they want to get their Spotify listens up. (laughs) But that ran at five minutes 30. Did it? But in 1989, lots of songs were running long. So, for example, US chart toppers that also ran over five minutes were Madonna's Like a Prayer, Roxette's Listen to Your Heart, and Bon Jovi's I'll Be There For You. So that's four songs from that year that all ran over five minutes. Yeah, wow. But I think they're all they're all ballady songs. Yeah, even like a prayer to an extent is only a mid tempo song. Yeah. So yeah. it's you know I guess there's a lot more to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nominated for four Grammys, I think yeah. this one record of the year, song of the year, best pop performance by a duo or group with vocals, and also best video. Also, interestingly, famed composer Burt Bacharach, who I love his stuff, he um, came out and saying that song was one of the finest lyrics of the last 10 years. And 100% so, it yeah. is. It did lose that the Grammy that year to Win Beneath My Wings. <gasps> oh, tough Lily competition. Ballads were really big in 1989. Yeah, of course, that was Beaches. Yeah. yeah. Now, Mike Rutherford was the bass player and later the guitarist for Genesis. Mm. He formed Mike and the Mechanics as a side project using Paul Carrick and Paul Young. Not the Paul Young that sang Every Time You Go Away. It's a different one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, and as Carrick also had a hit in 87 with Don't Shed a Tear. Yeah. That's why they're called a super group, isn't it? Like, yes. Because they're all musicians that are already successful, got their own bands, stuff going on. But they're yeah. like, let's meet up. Like, like the Travelling Wilburys. Yeah, but if you look at Genesis, mm. they had some massive talent in that group because <laughs> he was in it Phil Collins was mm-hmm. in it Peter Gabriel was in it oh, originally of course wow yeah talented gentleman yeah very much so 
Um, Mike and the Mechanics, they I didn't realise they did as much stuff as they did. They yeah. released like nine albums or something, which is kind of huge. Yeah, great song. Silent Running is a great song. And their last one was back in 2019, released their ninth year, Out of the Blue, which I haven't heard. No, either of them. But um, yeah, still doing stuff. Yeah, really, really powerful song, beautiful song. Let us know on socials which was your favourite out of the five. This week for our Forgotten Gem, one of our big commentators on Facebook. It is my mate Paul Turner. I knew him in Sydney. He now lives in Adelaide. Paul, over to you. Hi, I'm Paul Turner, and my Forgotten Gem is from 1988. It's Joan Jett and the Blackhearts with I Hate Myself for Loving You. This gem because it's actually my all-time fave, Joan Jett and the Blackheart Stomper. Enjoy. Oh, I love rock and roll, so I love Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. <laughs> that song, it didn't chart in Australia. 46 in the UK, 8 in New Zealand and the US. Oh, okay. 8 in the US. Yeah, right. and 8 in New Zealand. And so it's really weird that it was big there in a country incredibly close to us. Yes. Yes. We share so much culture with New Zealand, but often music is quite different. Mm, I guess sometimes, and sometimes very similar. Anyway, I'd never heard this song before. So, ah. yeah. Confession. See, I do know this song. Okay. Yeah, so it was weird coming yeah, into it, just not So this it wasn't a forgotten gem, it was an undiscovered gem. It was gem. undiscovered gem. And um, to be honest, I haven't sort of listened to a lot of Joan Jett in my life, but I find her... Fascinating. Fascinating. Absolutely. And I can't not watch it. Like in the film clips and stuff. I mean, she's stunningly beautiful. She's Yeah. She's just And an awful haircut that just suits her so beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I imagine her hair on other people would look dreadful, but you see it on her and you go, God, she's rock and roll and I love mm. her. So rock and roll. And just the fact that she can belt out these men's largely yeah. men's anthems, like she's covered quite a few. So successfully, like it, it and I love really rock great. and roll is oh. just one of the best songs of the eighties. That is a real yeah. Of course, I remember that song. And yeah. yeah, and you know, Britney did a cover of it as well. Yeah, uh, great song. She's had a few hits here in Australia. She so I love rock and roll hit one, Crimson and Clover hit six, mm-hmm. and Do You Want to Touch Me hit eighteen. Nice, nice. So uh, yeah, but this was a bit later. For her a few years after those successes and just for some reason didn't hit. But the song has a lot of pedigree. It Mm. is uh, written with Desmond Child, who has written some of the best songs in rock. So he helped do the Bon Jovi breakthrough songs. You Uh, Give Love a Bad Name and Living on a Prayer. And she had actually heard that song. And chased him down. Yes, she'd heard it before (laughs) it was released and she knew it was going to be a hit. Yep. Because, you know, music people like oh. that know. Like, she would have heard that, hear and that went song and bona fide hit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she was determined 
to track him down. So she said, there was a friend of ours at Epic Record who was friends with Desmond. And before the Bon Jovi record came out, he played me the song Living on a Prayer. I said, whoa, I want to meet this guy. So I started chasing Desmond around. He didn't want any part of it because he was busy looking for really important acts like Michael Bolton. Oh my I just chased him around until he couldn't take it anymore. There was something about his style I liked. It reminded me of the Four Seasons. Sure enough, he had worked with Bob Crew. <laughs> Desmond Child's an interesting one. I, I listened to a podcast where he was chatting. And because during his success, he came out of the closet in the late 80s. Okay. And people didn't want to work with him anymore. Really? Yes. Oh, for heaven's sake. But Alice Cooper did. There Alice you go. Cooper was like, I don't care. And, <laughs> and they created Poison together, which is my favourite Alice Cooper song. Ah. And then Desmond Child went on to have success again. Like later, he, he co wrote um, Live in La Vida Loca for Ricky Martin. Yes. So I the guy has written some her. of the best songs with of sure. all time. Yeah, if yeah. I can turn back time, he, he and Diane Warren. Yeah. Do you like this song? I do. I yeah. do. Yeah. 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 I think it's a great song. Um, Steve Tyler, apparently, <laughs> he, he likes this song. He tells a story in his. Um, 2011 book called Does the Noise in My Head Bother You? Um, he tells this story about showing up naked at Joan Jett's hotel room door uh, while they were touring together. Highly inappropriate, I will say. But when she opened, he said, I hate myself for loving you. <laughs> As a come on, perhaps. Yeah. He was sadly rejected. Yeah, I'm imagining she just slammed the door. Can you imagine a naked Steve Tyler? Ooh. Anyway, sorry, Steve. Uh, and the song received a nomination at the 31st Grammys for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. Mm. She was a member of a girl group before this. Um, the What were they called? The Runaways. Are you familiar with the Runaways? I know the name. I know the name. I feel like if I heard, like, I would then know their stuff. But, like, yeah. you said that and it sparked a memory. Well, there's actually a movie. I started watching it. Ah, that's what it late is. Late last night with, uh, is it Kristen Stewart? Yes. She plays was... Joan Jett. And I started last night, but I haven't gotten through it yet. But it's all about the Runaways and Joan Jett. So, watch How this far space. have the uh, Twilight kids come? Oh, yeah. yeah. Robert Patterson's Batman and, and Kristen... Is Diana. Yeah, she's nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. And a very good chance of winning it. Yeah, yeah wow. <laughs> they have done well for themselves. Now, Mick Taylor, who was the lead guitarist in the Rolling Stones in the early 70s, played guitar on this track, including the solo. In oh, the early wow. 70s. Okay, the Stones. Yes. Mm. Cool. Yeah, little group you might have heard of. Yeah. <laughs> that, that I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that forgotten gem, Paul. Yeah, I really love that we get different because we probably would never have picked this song. Well, I didn't know this song, so I definitely see you wouldn't definitely have picked wouldn't have picked song. it. So it's really great to hear. This is a flashback. A blast from the past. Yesterday, 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 yesterday. Last time we chose our classic theme as best debut single. A lot to choose from. Emma, what did you pick? I decided to go with Here With Me by Dido. Me is the first single English singer-songwriter Dido released from her 1999 debut studio album No Angel. 
The song was written about her then boyfriend, Bob Page, and was released in May 99 in the US, but not released in other parts of the globe until February 2001. Admittedly, also in some countries, it was issued as the album's second single following Thank You, which had, of course, become huge thanks to Eminem sampling it in his hit single, Stan. But being that it was her debut release in both the US and the UK, we decided it still definitely fits into this debut did single. We? Did we category. decide that? We did. The royal we over here. Because I thought, oh, I wonder if Wayne's going to pull me off on this technicality. Wayne thought about it. <laughs> Two of the biggest, like UK and US, it was her debut. So, yay. Um uh, it peaked at number four on the UK singles chart, um, was top five in France, Hungary, New Zealand and Portugal, uh, top 25 in Canada and also throughout a whole bunch of different countries within Europe. However, it only reached number 116 in the US and just 52 here in Australia, which I find a little bit weird because at that time I just felt like Dido was everywhere. I think maybe the album was really massive. Yeah. Probably people bought the album instead. I I was one of those people. And I was too. Yeah. I didn't I don't own this single. Yeah. But I own the album. You don't need to buy the singles if you own the album. Well, you that's do, why first singles you? often go better. Yeah. Oh, if it's an artist you love, you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I just wanted to talk about I guess Dido because for me she was huge for me at that time. I had her album and I would listen to it so much. Hunter is actually the song I would have picked if I could have, but that definitely wasn't released until later, sadly. I love that song on that album. And um, Had your tea gone cold? <laughs> sometimes, right, Wayne, yeah. sometimes. Uh, she calls this song um, a bit of a post-shag song. All been there. <laughs> Finding her in a state of bliss, awaiting her lover's return. Um, apparently she wrote the song a day after meeting her then boyfriend, a lawyer named Bob Page, at a London nightclub in 1995. They did get engaged in 2001, but she called off the wedding the following year. Oh. Didn't work out, sadly, with Bob. But uh, the song did well. The album did well. Are you a Dido fan? You're not looking at me like you're a big Dido person. Oh, no, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan without a big F. Okay. Like, I, I own a, a few of her albums, so mm. I've, I, you know, spent, dropped money on her, so I have to <laughs> like her. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, do you know what her real name is? Oh, it's something long. Something Florian Cloud de Bonneville Armstrong. Yeah, very different. <laughs> Like Florian would be a great name to use as a pop Florian star. Cloud. Like you just put just Florian. But yeah, her parents true. called her Dido after an African warrior queen. Yes. Yes. She's got quite a successful brother too, Rolo. Yes. Who was in what band was it? Faithless. Yeah. Yes. God and is a DJ. That's it, their song, isn't it? Oh, I think so. I don't know. I'd have to fact check that for you, Wayne. But he was instrumental in her career. Um in fact, this was the first song she reckoned she'd ever written that was any good. So she took it and played it for her brother Rollo and then he took it to his company's uh, meeting and said, look, we need to find someone like this. And they all looked at him and said, well, why, why can't we have her? <laughs> He's yeah. like, oh, that thought never occurred to me, sign out my sister. And yeah, yeah so 
But she did go through a rough patch in the mid-90s when she signed a publishing deal that she thought would, you know, get control of her music from her. She spent a lot of time alone in her London apartment, depressed, but got to work on songs that later showed up on her debut album. Nice. So many people start, you know, start what they start off with is not where they end up. Yeah. But before she became a headliner in the US, she opened for shows for the Bare Naked Ladies and Sting. Sting? Yes. Really? Huh. Yeah. There you go. She um she took a big break, fifteen years or so, basically from two thousand and five uh, to sort of nine two thousand nineteen. She um was busy getting married. She had a child, I think. But then she went back on tour with her album still on my mind. So she's still making stuff, or she was at least before the pandemic. Hopefully, we'll see her out there again. Hopefully, we will. Yes, she has been. You know, over the years, she still keeps dropping music. So yeah. good stuff out there. Yeah, indeed. Nice. So, who is your debut single? Well, I have chose another female as well. I have chosen Melissa Etheridge and Bring Me Some Water. Melissa Etheridge had been playing live music long before she was signed to a record deal. Etheridge was discovered at Vermes, a bar in Pasadena, California. She'd made some friends on a women's soccer team and those new friends came to see her play. One of the women was Carla Leopold, whose husband Bill was a manager in the music business. Carla convinced Bill to see Etheridge perform live. He was impressed and became a pivotal part of her career. This, in addition to her gigs in lesbian bars around L.A., led to her discovery by Island Records chief Chris Blackwell. Her first single, Bring Me Some Water, was released in 1988 and was biggest tier in Australia, reaching nine. It reached 17 in New Zealand, 34 in Canada and just 100 in the U.K. It only charted in the U.S. on the mainstream rock chart where it got to 10. Hmm. It's a big song. Big song, which just, it shocks me that it wasn't as big anywhere else in the world. Because I just remember when it was out in, in 88, and I didn't appreciate it as much as I do now, because mm. I was all about the pop in 88, but it was just everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I remember my dad listening to this or hearing it lots. and Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's... I actually thought it was older than what, than 88. I felt like it. Yeah, but it's not. So there you go. I saw her a couple of years ago live. My mm-hmm. my uh, bestie Charlene and I went to see um, her and Cheryl Crow play live, mm-hmm. and we went because we're massive Cheryl Crow fans, and it was a double header bill. And I was just blown away by Melissa. Yeah, blown away. Such an incredible talent, and her voice is so powerful live. Yes, and just seeing the audience go crazy for her. Yeah, I felt like you know. It was it was all of lesbian Sydney was in that gig. Um, it was just. <laughs> well, she says this f- uh, song is quite a fun song to play live, and it always gets a huge reaction from the crowd. Yeah, despite it being about heartbreak. Well, yeah, yeah despite exactly, it, it evokes a very difficult time. But she's learned how to deal with that. You know, she's not there emotionally anymore, but she can happily, just like an actor, I guess, jump yeah. back into that you know, mindset for the song, but then happily leave it there. Yeah. It's just a song. And, you know, she is really a lesbian icon. 
Yes. If we think back to the nineties, the it was her and Katie Lang who were just And Ellen. At, but is in music, oh, music, you know. Yeah, yeah. Out there just saying, Hey, this is who we are. And yeah. it's funny, when she first started releasing music, it was kind of a really badly kept secret. I don't know that they were def- necessarily trying to keep it a secret. I think she just yeah. hadn't gone public because you just hadn't. Yeah. They both came out at Bill Clinton's Triangle Ball, didn't yeah. they? <laughs> Which was kind of great. Yeah, she came out publicly in 1993. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also released her album, Yes, I Am. <laughs> <laughs> what a great title. But I also love that that was her mainstream breakthrough album. Mm. It actually took for her to... to you know, embrace her truth yes. for people to really embrace her. Yeah. Which really says a lot. Because she would have been terrified. Of course. You know, here she is having this level of success. Thinking, what's it going to mean? You know, and nowadays people come out and it is a lot easier. But back then, yeah, coming out was a big thing. Yeah. Particularly for somebody in the public spotlights. 100%. Because there would have been radio stations that would have then refused to play her music. Who needs those Idiots. radio stations? Yeah. That's right. And she does have some good music. I love oh. that song, Like the Way I Do, as well. That's one of my favourites Similar of features. I, want, I love I Want to Come Over. Okay. Um, and also her Scarecrow album. Beautiful, mm. beautiful songs. Mm. I, I just really love her, and I've loved her for a really long time. Now, this song, as I said, came from a place of heartbreak. At the time, she was residing in LA with her girlfriend, Kathleen who lived elsewhere. So, Etheridge had reluctantly agreed to make theirs a non-monogamous relationship, or as we, I don't know why that person wrote it like that, an open relationship. <laughs> the song tells about the pain and jealousy arriving from thoughts of her lover being intimate with somebody else. So there's many metaphors in the lyrics describing her emotional state, principally the chorus line, somebody bring me some water, can't you see I'm burning alive? Yeah. Many other songs on the album dealt with the same subject. She said, I remember sitting in my living room and I love the blues and I'm of the rock and roll school where it comes from the rhythm and blues based music. And so there was that, that's the kind of beat that I wanted. Mm. But you can hear that heartbreak in there, in, in the lyrics and also the yearning in her voice. Oh, yeah. Like it's heartbreaking. Yeah. When is. you when you don't think of it for the enjoyment of music, when you actually when listen you think to her of, heartbreak, uh, yeah, it just sounds like it's level. breaking then and there in the studio. Well, happily, she did find love. Uh, yeah. Late 80s, she met director Julie Cypher, uh, who was married to Lou Diamond Phillips hey. <laughs> before that. So I love um, him, P.S. <laughs> I know, but Julie um, left him for Melissa. And then they went on to have quite a successful relationship. They had two kids, I think. Um, a son, Beckett, and a daughter, Bailey Jean. But Beckett then died. Yes, he did, not that long ago. No, only in 2020, I think, he had opioid addiction. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, great, talented lady. She's been through some stuff, but gosh, talented lady. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, you know, really great that she is still an icon to this day. Like she is so respected and loved by the music community, which is such a really great thing. Yeah. Is she in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet? I doubt it, actually. She should be. Yeah. Because Joan Jett is. That's another one that we were talking about earlier. She's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, They're actually just announcing the the nominations at the moment and Dolly's refusing her. I know she turned down the opportunity, I was about to say, because she doesn't feel like she's worthy of that yet because she hasn't. And I see her. 
don't get me wrong, I love Dolly and I think she deserves to be everywhere, but she hasn't, she doesn't think, made an, a rock album. And she's very big on the country, but that is that rock? Rock and roll? Yeah, but... but, but the good pop. news is she might be making a rock and roll type, more yeah, rocky... Yeah, but, but pop music acts get in, R&B yeah. acts get in. Like, it, I think it's just, it's the word rock and roll hall of fame, but it's just the music hall of fame, essentially, yeah. in my mind. Dolly deserves it. Like I said, Dolly deserves to be everywhere, but yeah. an interesting choice of hers. Yeah. What's more rock and roll than turning down a nomination for hey. rock and roll Hall of Fame? It's like, nah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was our classic theme for this week. Best debut single. What would you have chosen? Five, four, three, two, one. It's the final, final, final countdown. UV40. Emma, are you a fan? You know what? Yes. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a mega fan, but I certainly have a soft spot for them. Yeah, I feel like because they've released so many great songs, everybody has to have a few of their songs that they love. 100%. You would think so. I, I feel like I if you don't do. like one of their songs, you know... <laughs> what's up? What's up? <laughs> what's, what's wrong? Are you <laughs> okay? Are you okay? What's up? Yeah. <laughs> um, they started back in... The year I was born. I didn't realise they'd been around for so long. But yeah. They have. Yeah, 1942. Who no, knew? Sh- <laughs> shush you. Shush you. Um, no, 78. Summer of 78. Great summer. I was born and UB40 came came to there be. There you go. <laughs> Two things made with evil. No. And they're largely made of brothers. Oh, well, two of the brothers were in the original lineup. Yes. And then, yeah. They many caught, many members over the years and, and lots, yeah. yeah caught their first big break after Chrissy Hind saw them on a London pub stage yes and then, and then you know then she's recorded a number of songs with them yes clearly they stayed friends over those years which is yeah. really great yeah 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 well let's hear about them so UB40 are an English reggae and pop band formed in December 1978 in Birmingham England the band have had more than 50 singles in the UK singles chart and have also achieved considerable international success. They've been nominated for the Grammy Award for Best Reggae Album four times, and in 1984 were nominated for the Brit Award for Best British Group. UB40 have sold over 70 million albums worldwide. The ethnic makeup of the band's original lineup was diverse with musicians of English, Welsh, Irish, Jamaican, Scottish, and Yemeni parentage. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a Big collection of people. And that explains kind of how their music sounds the way it sounds. Like they've got different influences from all over the place. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, it's a nice mixing pot, which is what our society is. So it's lovely mm. to see that in a group. 100%. Well, let's get into the top five. And now it's not what you might expect. Some of the some of their biggest songs did not make the top five. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, all no. right. At number five was the fourth single from Labour of Love 2. We're at 63 in Australia, 49 in the UK, but six in the US. It's The Way You Do The Things You Do. At four was their debut single from the Signing Off album. 36 in Australia, 19 in the UK and one in New Zealand. It's Food for Thought. At 
Three was the second single from the UB40 album. 17 in Australia, 4 in the Netherlands and 26 in the UK. It's Where Did I Go Wrong? Two was the second single from Labour of Love 2, reached 17 in Australia, four in the UK and one in France. It's Kingston Town. And now I am king and my queen will come at dawn. She'll be waiting in Kingston Town. And number one was the first single from Labour of Love, reached two in Australia, one in Canada, Ireland, the Netherlands, the UK and the US. It's Red Red Wine. But if we think that their other two massive songs didn't make it, I Got You, Babe, and Can't Help Falling In Love. Yes, I'm surprised. I don't think Can't Help Falling In Love got one vote. Really? Yeah. It was everywhere. Yeah, but people like other ones better. I mean, admittedly, I like Kingston Town better. That's probably my my favourite. That's my favourite by a long way. Oh, we agree. Yeah, it's a gorgeous song. I'd forgotten about Where Did I Go Wrong. Oh, good song. It is a good song, isn't it? Yeah. And I love the way you do the things you do as well, which, which is, is really interesting. Is that a cover of that, the way you do the things you know? What song? We'll listen to it I'll afterwards. have to listen to that. Um, so, yeah, because it wasn't big here in Australia or the UK, but it was massive in the US. Mm. We down here in the Southern Hemisphere really embrace them uh, very early. For example, Food for Thought, their debut song. You know, it got to number one in New Zealand. And Red Red Wine was a big hit in the Southern Hemisphere before it was a big hit in America. So it didn't actually hit big in the US until 1988. But oh. it actually was originally released in 1983. 80, yeah, I was going to say 84 or 83. Wow. Yeah. But it wasn't actually until their appearance on the Free Nelson Mandela concert at Wembley Stadium in London of June of 88 that Americans really caught on. I was about to say what took them to America because I can't imagine they're, they'd be really big in the American psyche. Yeah. No, but it was because of that Free that Nelson Mandela concert. concert. And Americans but, went, hang on, this really this old song's awesome. great. Because <laughs> they're political activists as well. 150%. Um, yeah, even their name, UB40, comes from the name of a document, Unemployment Benefit Form 40, used to claim, yeah, unemployment from Social Security in the UK. I guess that shows where they came from. Yeah. What they grew up with and... Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at their debut album, you know, some of the political songs in that, Burden of Shame derides the ills of British imperialism, while Food for Thought addresses famine in Ethiopia, and Madame Medusa takes on the Iron Lady Maggie Thatcher's rise to power in Britain. I can't imagine it's a nice picture of her with a name like Madame Medusa. (laughs) (laughs) Lady with snakes coming out of her head. Yep, 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 turned you to stone. Uh, (laughs) 
Now, let me give you the rest of the top 10. We had at 6, 1 and 10. 7, Don't Break My Heart. 8, Groovin. 9, Tell Me Is It True. And 10, I Got You, Babe. That was a great cover too. I liked that one. Yeah, I just think the first one, like the original, is so big. Of course, but yeah. Yeah. I I I only discovered the song the second time. Like the first time I had ever heard that song was Chrissy Hind and UB40 doing it. And so I thought that that's what it was. So, yeah. I, of course, have gone back and listened to the original Sonny and Cher, which I absolutely love and appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, I have a real soft spot for this one too. They say our love won't pay the rent, Emma. Mm. Before it's something our money's always spent. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Putting me on the spot for lyrics here. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fun. Excellent. All right. Well, let's have a look at our next episode, Emma. All okay. right. So I'm actually going to give you a clue that none of our listeners will understand, but you personally will understand. Yep, I'm ready. You stole the name of this band to use in one of your kids' workshops. Oh, Culture Club. Culture Club. <laughs> Should I be admitting that or not? <laughs> Please don't sue me. No. <laughs> Boy George, if you're listening. I am not Contact trying. me, I'll give you all the details. Um, I do not try and appropriate your music in any way, shape no, or No, no, no. The, the, your your kids' club workshops have nothing to do with Culture Club. Correct. It is literally just called Culture Club. Yes, yes. We talk <laughs> about different cultures throughout the world. Very different. <laughs> You're looking at me like, what have you done? It was a joke, Emma. It was a joke. <laughs> but yes, we're looking at Culture Club. This, so we're, I'm actually, the ones that people have been screaming out for, these are the ones that we're doing. People really wanted Olivia. People really wanted UB40 and people really want Culture Club. Yeah. Well, I agree. Culture Club, bring it on. Yeah. So what songs do you think will be big? And why is it Karma Chameleon and do you really want yeah, to hurt me? Yeah, I was me? about to say, do you really want to hurt me? Has to rank Karma Chameleon. But what do you 100%. think? What do you think going to be number one? Do you really want to hurt me or Karma Chameleon? Which one's more popular? I think I prefer Karma Chameleon just as a song. I think I do too. Um, who knows? Yeah. The people will have their say. Yes. Church of the Poison Mind. Yes, that was a good song too. I think my favourite of these is the war song. The war song. Yeah, war is stupid and people are stupid. Amen. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, Emma. Yes. I got some. I've got new themes. People gave us new themes. So spin okay. the die. Excellent. Fifteen. Fifteen. Oh God. <laughs> song remind the song that reminds you of an ex. Oh, dangerous. Dangerous songs that remind you of an ex. Oh God. Okay. Yep. Um and. Yeah, it can't be you ought to know because we've already done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It's going to be a little bit tricky because I didn't... Oh, yeah, I know which exit will probably be then. Do I know the... No, you wouldn't I... have met because, you know, I... back in the... We're talking about 80s, 90s yeah. stuff. I've got a million from like the year 2000s and stuff I could probably pick. James Blunt, anyone? <laughs> no? Have you never listened to Goodbye, My Lover? And yeah, no, 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 I have. I was just like, that was not who I was expecting to come out there. All right, that will anyway. be our next episode. Yes. All right, Emma, okay. we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. 